Studios. If you're just joining us here for the first time, welcome to our new listeners. And if you've been here from the beginning, thanks for staying with us. This is episode number 63, which I just completely made up. We've lost track at some point, and I could go back and count them, but I'm just going to start from 63. Seems like a good number, right? Why not? Yeah, it could be 62. It could be 61. Yeah. It could be 63. We like to have a little wiggle room, you know, just in case. Okay. okay. So anyway, yeah, we've had a solid year plus now of uh, bringing you stories of recovery, hope, and uh, you know, just some just some good stuff. We've had some laughs. We've had some tears, but uh, you know. Good shows all around. Anyway, um, some uh, some important facts here before we get started. You can contact us during the show. We are live. You can contact us like on the phone. Speak to a real human being. How you can't do that on the internet, but yes, you can. Um, <laughs> what's our oh, number yes, here? Number is three two three seven nine two two nine seven seven. If you've got questions or comments, feel free to give us a call, and we might listen to you. Um, you can also tweet us live during the show or really anytime. It doesn't have to be live, but if you want your question answered, uh, you know, while while this whole procession is proceeding, you can uh, tweet us at Rick Atwater. You can find us on Facebook at Recovery Internet Radio. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So, you know, oh, let us one know. Other, one other thing, um, you know, we can't, because of the software we use, we can't uh, screen the calls. Oh yeah, so, yeah. If you call and we answer, you can say anything. Yeah. Do you want to be? Do you want to be telling everybody that? I don't know if that's you know. Well, we haven't gotten that many calls. I just thought I'd throw that out there and you know do a little fishing, see what happens. Liven it up a little bit. Yeah, we are. We did get that guy from New York who was half in the bag. Remember that guy? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. You know, some interesting stuff. Okay. That's exactly why I didn't tell my friends. Oh, we're going to put it out there, Jim. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I said to Northern New Zealand, so maybe they'll call, and I don't know what time it is there. New Zealand? Hey. Yeah, we are international here. So if you do contact us, we'd love to know where you're from. We do broadcast uh, live, but it's uh, it's internet radio. So, you know, drop us a line. Let us know if you're in New York or New Zealand or wherever you might be. And the website is? Recoveryinternetradio.com. Check it out for resources, all our past shows, archived. Um, you can... Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Off, oh, it's free, free for zero cents. You can just sign up and get a new show every week in your inbox. Bang, right. just like that. So, uh, you know, without further ado, I'll introduce our our host with the most here, Mr. Rick Atwater. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. Thanks for all of that. That's and, all the applause uh, you're getting. That's it. Welcome to Enjoy Recovery it. Internet Radio. Yeah, you were you were talkative tonight. Hey, you were full. You were really full of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of it every night. Come on. I know you are. Anyway, welcome to Recovery Internet Radio and our show Straight Stuff on Addictions. Our tag tonight is the big secret. And I warned you that I was going to, you know, I, I, had to, I had to do the promo, Jim. So, um, Our guest tonight is Jim M. And uh, I want to thank you for coming and also uh, thank all of our listeners uh, for listening in tonight, where we are every night, uh, every Sunday night at 8, 
And also thanks to Chris for engineering and, and doing his thing. Yeah, yeah. He's all he's pretty much covered all the rest of the stuff. And uh, we also like to mention just quickly a couple of our friends. Uh, one of our favorite bands, Double Take. Uh, you can find out where they are by going to doubletakechicago.com. They played, I think, last week somewhere locally. They're a fun band. Uh, good reviews. Another friend of ours, Colleen, uh, who runs a, an operation called Dirty Laundry Designs, Fresh Cards for Addiction and Recovery. And uh, you can uh, go to DirtyLaundryDesigns.com to find out more. The cards are great. And I think that's all of that's that's all of our friends. Gosh, that's everybody. That's everybody. Okay, the short list, but it's right. a good list. Okay, we and um, you know we have we have a lot to talk about tonight. So let's get started. Are you ready to get started? Thumbs up. Okay. So you know I know um, that you you have been around the recovery world. For a good long time. How long? I've been sober for 40 years. Four zero. Four zero. Coming up on uh, 41 in July. And so, you know, the thing that interests, I mean, you know, uh, right away, the thing I I, I want to get to, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about some other things first, but just the changes, you know, the things that I hope we 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 get a get to to talk to you and pick your brain a little bit about the things that you've seen. But I guess I want to start first by asking you, um, you know, you know, my, my stereotypical brain says 40 years ago or almost 41 years ago, did you have to be like a real, real bad alcoholic to go to Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> and if so, what does that say about you? <laughs> Well, one of the things I've learned is uh, uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, what I've learned in the A meetings, huh. attending the A meetings, comparing people's drinking histories in certain ways, uh, huh. comparing how much they drank or how low their bottom was uh, by based on what their financial situation was or how many DUIs they had or that 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 really none of that stuff is a good basis of comparison because mm-hmm. uh, in that time I've met people of all ages coming into AA mm-hmm. with a lot of different types of drinking histories uh, that uh, defy any kind of categorization. The only most basic thing that made the difference for me. And for anyone I've met who came to AA realizing they needed help and, and consequently got it and got sober, is what was going on in their mind. Hmm. It, was, it was what it was doing to them and how they were feeling about their life. Hmm. So, you know, you, you, can, you can meet people who have had multiple DUIs and it doesn't bother them. They don't even care. Right. You know? Sure. Well, you know, so that there, there's no bottom. There, I've met right? those guys. Yeah. So have you, haven't you? Yeah, right. So, there, there, you know, there, there's no bottom happening there. Uh, there's no, uh, no, no sense of great loss and consequently no sense of surrender as a result of that loss. And that seems to be the way from what I've observed and from what the 
Alcoholic Anonymous book says, uh, and and things that the author authors of Alcoholics Anonymous referred to in doing their research prior to writing it, uh, that, that that seems to be the progression, is that someone recognizes how bad things have gotten in their life and that they can't control any longer or even try to control any longer what's happening to them. And at that point, they put up the white flag and uh, ask for help. And that's when things start to change. And that... And so that kind of blows up that stereotype in a way that, you know, you, you know, 40 years ago you had to be a low-bottom drunk. You had to crawl in off the, off the streets, right, straight from Skid Row with the, with the wine bottle and a bag. Right. That wasn't the case then. It isn't the case now. No. Uh, I, uh, I met a woman years ago, I remember, came to meetings that uh, she was... 62, 64 years old, something like that. She'd been drinking for a year. She'd never drank before in her life. Her husband died. She had trouble sleeping. Her doctor suggested she had a couple of glasses of wine that would help her relax and go to bed. And all those years, she apparently was a potential alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And once she started drinking, within a year, she was in trouble. And uh, and tending the aliens. Oh, gee. Yeah. Accident waiting to happen. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Doc. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, that, I mean, that's an extreme example. But there's a lot, there's those kinds there of examples out there. Stories. So, uh, once again, you come back to, you can't generalize. I guess, indirectly, uh, I, I, have, uh, I haven't answered your, your indirect question with a direct answer. Mm-hmm. About what was it like for me when, yeah. I, when I first came around? Like yeah. How low is my bottom? And, yeah. And what kind of shape was I in? Uh, I had a difficult time uh, admitting uh, and to myself that I was an alcoholic. Why was that? I think part of it was lack of knowledge, and mm-hmm. I think part of it, uh, a big, big part of it, was that. Uh, I uh, had not been exposed to people with drinking problems. Just wasn't in your. Wasn't yeah. Wasn't yeah. In, in, in my my experience. Yeah. Uh, that was the word. I was, I'm doing hand signals here. Sure. This is radio, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who can't see this. Uh, uh. Part of that is because of the way uh, it alcoholism kind of snuck up on me. Mm. And that I didn't seem to have a good uh, reference to recognize what was happening. To me. So my father came from a family where there was a lot of alcoholism, yeah. multiple examples, serious alcoholism. His father, my grandfather, a number of his brothers, uh, but they all lived in New York, <laughs> and I lived in Chicago, and right. I only met him a couple of times, and I heard some of the stories, but. Never really had a chance to see this in action, and my mm-hmm. father, my father d- drank responsibly, mm-hmm. and you know never saw it interfere uh, in our lives. So, uh, and the second thing for me that was a little bit different is typical teenage kind of experiences with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I didn't like beer, mm-hmm. so I had a couple of drinking experiences as a teen. Got sick, didn't like it in the first place, and then especially didn't like the hangovers and so forth. And I just never did very much drinking all through high school, mm-hmm. all through college. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after I was out of college, married, and a kid with a kid, 
that I discovered a cocktails, mm -hmm. scotch, mm -hmm. and the stress of me being in that position with those responsibilities, which is all new to me, and uh, uh, the job with a lot of self-imposed pressure in my work, uh, that my drinking immediately, uh, much to my surprise, became something that was a problem. It was an, uh, an even bigger surprise to my wife, who had almost never seen me drink. And then all of a sudden, she's seeing me passed out on the bathroom floor after we've been right. at someone's party or or uh, under their cocktail table or on top of a pile of coats in the, <laughs> in the bed in the bedroom at the party. And that's and and that's forty years ago. So forty years ago, uh, cocktails were kind of an acceptable. Madman, madman. Yeah, thank you, madman. That's the way. That's the way we do business. Yes. Yes. Did you? Was there? Was the term cocktailing? Uh, was that ever you? Have you ever heard that term? No, I don't think I've heard it. Good. Because <laughs> somebody told me that, and I just never. It just seems wrong to me to use cocktail as a verb. But anyway, I, that's. I digress. Sorry. I, you know, somebody told me I went cocktailing. Really? Yeah. Ah, that's just wrong. Yeah, I think the ladies can get away with that, maybe. You think that's yeah. what more ladies think? Okay. All right. I so anyway, yeah, yeah, Mad Men. So you were in that. You were in that. I worked in marketing and sales. I worked in a couple of different industries. Uh, almost immediately after I married, uh, after I got married, I started traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I spent a lot of time on the road, a lot of time with customers, um, drinking at lunch, mm -hmm. dinner, uh, and a lot of time being alone, mm -hmm. traveling, which. Easiest place to go to is the bar. Sure. So, um, and uh, it didn't stop when I came home. Uh huh. You know, then, then, then it was drink at home. And so gradually over time, uh, it became more and more of a problem. How much and time? Over uh, altogether, uh, my total experience with with drinking and finally getting sober is about ten years. Mm hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. Uh, and. I began to experience that, that I was having problems in all of the, the ways that you typically hear from, from people, you know, financial problems, relationship problems, job problems. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, it was, it was increasing. Uh, sought help a couple of times. Uh, what kind of? Well, but it, a psychiatrist at one time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what resulted from that was uh, eventually an addiction to tranquilizers. Mm. In, in addition, stress was a big. Do you remember? Problem. Were they all the way, Were they Milltowns? No, no, Milltown. That was more of a woman's drug. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. My mom took those. That was a yeah. Drug. That was mother's little helper. Mother's little helper, yeah. yeah from the Stones, I think. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. No, what they give you? Uh, Valium. Then? Valium and, and Librium. Okay. Yeah, Valium and Librium. I, uh, Nerve pills. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember feeling very, you know, that, that stress was a real issue for me, a real mm -hmm. problem. And that the only thing that relieved that stress was drinking. And then, and then uh, I also... Uh, did the shrink ask you about drinking? I don't think he did. I don't, but this was early in, yeah. in people identifying alcoholism yeah. uh, and uh, talking about other things. And uh, Yeah, that's not what you really came yeah. for. Yeah, right, right. You came for stress. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, I probably had he asked me, I wouldn't have been honest with him, mm -hmm. telling him how much I drank. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we uh, 
I think we went to a, uh, a marriage council once too, mm -hmm. where a lot of stuff was discussed. But I, I know I wasn't honest with him mm -hmm. about the drinking. At that point, had your wife brought it up? She was, I think she was just kind of overwhelmed by, yeah. by the whole thing. She really had difficulty understanding like what? how I could have become so different from the guy she married yeah. just four or five years ago. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, without you prompting me with any questions, I'm just following the chronology yeah, yeah. of what happened. Um, I uh, I ended up at some sales conference where I had a booth mm -hmm. and representing the company I was working for, and some guy across the aisle from me in mm -hmm. another booth was representing another company. And we had a cocktail reception the first night we were there, and I guess he spotted me. And so the next evening, uh, when it was time to go to dinner, uh, he had chatted me up during the day, and I asked him if he wanted to go out and have dinner together. It seemed like this is going to be a fun guy. I'm going to go out and do some drinking with him tonight. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was driving, and he drove right to Howard Johnson's restaurant, where they did not serve alcohol in those days. And when I brought that to his attention, you know, what the hell is going on here? You can't get a drink here. He proceeded for the next hour to tell me his story. <laughs> so that's what he—that's what you meant by my first yeah. introduction. I see. To, uh, he spotted to you. To alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, to anyone talking to me about their alcoholism—that was. I, maybe I had seen the movie Days of Wine and Roses. I don't know. Right. But uh, I, I certainly didn't go out of my way looking for that kind of information. That's the other thing. Right. So it was kind of unavoidable listening to him. Uh, Since he drove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, he was, uh, and he was very enthusiastic about what he found in sobriety. I mean, mm -hmm. he really was. Uh, and, uh, Did you ever have any contact with that guy over the years? or ever? After I got sober, which did not happen right away, uh -huh. uh, I made it a point to some years later uh, look him up and actually visit him and go to a meeting with him in St. Louis. Hmm. Yeah, and it was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We, we corresponded for a couple of years yeah. and kind of lost track of one another. Um, that, listening to him, what it produced in, in me was, uh, at least at a conscious level, um, Poor guy, what a shame. Something like that happens. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not that bad. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh -huh. But I did remember, I did remember uh, maybe a year later, a year and a half later, when things had gotten worse, and I picked up the phone and uh, I called A. Hmm. And uh, still resisting, mm -hmm. still not wanting to. Uh, have the problem, not wanting to take any kind of action regarding it. I've heard the phrase, a nice guy who drinks too much. Yeah. That, that, most people would say that about me. Yeah. yeah. I've become more isolated, though, too. Yeah. You know, the typical progression, I have fewer friends that, mm -hmm. that, that, that wanted to be around me. So, um, catch my train of thought here. So this... I'm, Called the AA answering service, 
late at night. They said they'd have someone get back to me the next morning. Mm -hmm. They did. Made an appointment for him to come by to see me uh, that uh, that particular evening. And by the time he arrived that evening, I changed my mind. Oh. I was feeling a lot better than I did the night before. I had a couple of drinks already that day. and So when the doorbell rang in this apartment building we were living in, in Arlington Heights at the time, I went downstairs to the lobby, met him in the lobby on the outside of the locked door. <laughs> we chatted for a while. He offered to take me to a meeting, and I declined. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit, and he therefore offered... Uh, me a big book to take and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and gave me his phone number. And I figured uh, I owed that to him to at least take his book. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he left, and uh, it was about a year a year later before mm. I picked the phone up and called him again mm. and finally went to meet him. Uh, I read the book a couple of times during that year. Mm -hmm. What did you think about it? Uh, well, <laughs> I thought it was extremely well written. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was impressed with what it said. And from the first time I read it, I believed that it was comprehensive and would be effective. And that it really would work the way it said it did if somebody actually did what this book was saying. Mm -hmm. And that there was no way I was doing <laughs> anything. <laughs> that that wasn't right. me, that it's no. the way I'm built, that isn't the kind of things that I believe in. And that still probably wasn't all really necessary for you? No. Well, not in a way that I recognize. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the whole spiritual tone of it was uh, was not to my liking. I, I was by the time I got the, it's pretty much a studied agnostic. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I also, and I think the biggest interference for me was I had a lot of willpower, and that mm -hmm. willpower had worked and continues to in every other area of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't understand. Jump ahead just a little bit. Uh, when I did call him up, and a year later I started going to meetings with him, mm -hmm. I was in and out of AA, staying sober for short periods of time for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And for that year and a half, uh, it would this was the issue that would hold me up. I kept spiritual issue. Trying, the spiritual issue combined with, well, let, let's take them one at a time. The, the, the spiritual issue, I believed I was stuck on the second and third step. Okay. People kept pointing out that I really was stuck on the first step <laughs> if I kept slipping, right? Right. But it's tough to get the second step when you're drinking. That's <laughs> right. I, I do get that. Right, I understand right. that. Which the second step is, can you say what that is? Uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Okay. All right. Okay. Just for so the power greater than yourself comes into the yeah comes into the picture. And the second step so it comes in. Right, right away, right, right away. Right away. Well, you it's just, a spiritual program. Yeah. You know, that's something else. I was, uh, I was trying over that year and a half to try to work a spiritual program by taking the spiritual parts 
out of the program right. and developing my own custom program, right? Right. Which is combining my willpower with some of the things that I was willing uh, to do. Okay. Well, there's right. a saying, there's a line in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that half measures bill is nothing. Yeah. I think that's one of the most impressive things that's stated in the entire book. Because it's so, um, it is so different than anything else I'd ever heard in life. You know, what I heard from teachers, from parents, is you get out of life what you put into it. Right. Put in 25%, get 25% back. Put in 50%, right. get this. This says... These guys say no. This says nothing. Useless. You Useless. Half measures of value, nothing. And Nil I until. proved it. I proved it for the next year and a half. Mm. I, I would get a little more confident and stay sober three weeks. And, and believe that I was going somewhere by mm -hmm. combining, uh, you know, some new version of willpower mm -hmm. with uh, with some things that I'd learned in the program. Had but you left the nerve pills behind too, or were they still they were dogging still, you? Yeah, they, they were still dogging you. Yeah. In fact, even after I stopped drinking and got sober, I carried a couple around in my pocket for a year. <laughs> I was convinced that Just I was up in an airplane somewhere, and right. I was going to absolutely. Right. Lose it, and I better have that there as insurance. Yeah. Security blanket. Security blanket. Sure. And, yeah, exactly right. Can I ask, you know, I mean, at in, in this time, you didn't mention, but, you know, you were able to find a, you were able to find a meeting. You were able to, you know, have somebody to talk to. You know, how, how, how developed was the program at that point? Oh, they has been around for a long time. It's been around for a long time before, uh, and was extremely strong and growing very rapidly in the area that I came into. Uh, Arlington Heights area had uh, a lot of meetings and there were three or four treatment centers right in the area that were pumping people out, new new sobriety. This was this was probably the the uh, the golden era of treatment yeah. for alcoholism. There was a lot of money, a lot of uh, federal money, there were a lot of insurance programs that paid for 30 and 40 and 45 day programs. Mm -hmm. uh, Lutheran General Hospital and Parkside were big, big programs in that area. And even Elgin State Hospital had an excellent uh, alcoholism treatment program. So, uh, so it was happening. It was, it was, it was happening big. And mm -hmm. there were lots of good examples and lots of sobriety. Mm -hmm. uh, if I had wanted to get sober and had done what people had, had suggested, it would have happened. It wouldn't have taken a year and a half. But I didn't do anything they suggested. You see, the interesting thing is, and that's a good question, because I think people don't, even people who are get who get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous more recently than you have, yeah. don't necessarily know the, that this has been going strong for a long time. I mean, that that you know, I like to think, you know, I, I know this guy and that guy, and when they walked in, it was really going good for them. And that was ten years ago. So, yeah. but it was but it was going gangbusters forty years ago, oh, yeah. and it was probably going gangbusters fifty years ago yeah. and sixty years ago. Yeah. You know, we we guess there's a that's another uh, I guess another little bit of a stereotype uh, that you know this is more this the strength of Alcoholics Anonymous is more recent than sure than it is. You know. Yeah, and it sounds like well, what you're saying is it, at that time it had kind of 
gathered some momentum and it, it, even though it had been around and, and it had been successful for a lot of people maybe it was it was really kind of a big it was one of the one of the sea changes for for that you know where society would look at it in a certain way and that maybe it started to shift at that time was tre- treatment was a big treatment was, was coming a big, big deal right then mm-hmm. yeah right. exactly yeah and and as has happened with many other issues in our society uh the beginnings of an openness about having the problem with yeah, not sure. being, you know, in the beginning, one of the reasons that uh, uh, the the picture people have of what it means to be an alcoholic is the, you know, the guy in the gutter that's lost everything, mm-hmm. is because uh, it was such a stigma to be an alcoholic in the early years of Alcoholics Anonymous that people wouldn't admit it until they got to practically to that stage, you know. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have a lot of young people in AA like you do today. And uh, you didn't have very many women in, in the very beginning. That changed over time, and, and it was all there by the time I got around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it had become... It had become much more acceptable. Acceptable. And the, uh, and the treatment programs really helped that a lot. Yeah. They, they really did. So did you... Um, so you were, you know, three weeks and then yeah. having a problem, three weeks yeah. and then having a problem, so on and so forth. So what, what, when did the light come on yeah. and what caused the light to come on for you? Um, things got worse. Yeah. Uh, multiple experiences of things getting worse. Uh, the things I mentioned before, financial problems, relationship problems. My wife left and with the kids and came back a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Lost a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what did they tell you? Did they was it because of drinking or never? No, never. No. They just let you go and didn't say a word. It, it, uh, we don't need you anymore. Thanks. There was, there was people I uh, uh, interacted with in the business world. Uh, with very few exceptions, most people didn't know I had a drinking problem. Yeah. They they thought I was sometimes hard to get along with. <laughs> And not know why, mm-hmm. you know. That, 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 uh, That's so nicely said. You know, hard to get along with. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they, they didn't know why. They didn't know what the deal was. So I had a few minutes to make and some explaining to do in that regard after I got sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to to go where you're asking the next question, mm-hmm. you know, what, so like what happened? What happened? The straw that broke the camel's yeah. back, sort of. Yeah. Um. The, back to the willpower thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have already had some experiences in my life through just trying harder and putting a lot of willpower behind it that that, that I had done some kind of turnaround, you know. Mm-hmm. And this, I kept trying to do that, uh, trying to do the same thing over and over again. Mm. And uh, like this time, I'm gonna if this... I do just a little this more, or yeah. just a little bit more that way, and so forth. And, uh, and the half measures thing, which mm-hmm. I just explained before, I, did, I, I didn't understand. Uh, and um, the whole idea of surrendering was totally repugnant to me. Mm. It, it didn't make sense. I, I, I didn't get it, despite the fact that they talked about it. And I proved that by, during that first year and a half attending, I didn't have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a home group. I didn't even have phone numbers. 
Hmm. You know, I showed up in meetings and I kind of flitted around and so Kind of Jim's Anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So, you know, I, I was never working the program I was working. Yeah. I was working my program. Yeah. And uh, it, it just, it required more failure. Yeah. Uh, is that That's got to be a, a just a demoralizing, just horrible. Yeah. And often, and often, uh, you know, scratching my head trying to figure out how, to, you know, how this happened here. Right how come those guys? Yeah. You ever wonder what? It, yeah. How come those guys? Those that guy seems like such a dope. How come he gets it? You know, or stuff like that. You know. Yeah, yeah we're okay. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll just. How about we finish this this little section sure. here? Then we'll take a short uh, breather. So. During all this time, uh, coupled with this willpower issue, was this kind of twisted belief that I really did have some kind of willpower. Yeah. Because every time that I drank what we call having a slip, mm-hmm. uh, I believed I had it. I had it positioned in my mind that I decided to take a drink. Hmm. And if I have the ability to decide to take a drink, then I have control. Right. You're not powerless. I'm not powerless. Because right. you decided. I mean, right. Right. And that was all through this period. Uh, a strong sense of uh, the, I go for some period of time without drinking, shorter or a little bit longer. Tension would build up. And at a certain point, I would say, screw it. Mm-hmm. And I would pick up a drink. Mm-hmm. But again, that would feel like a conscious decision. I had no, I had no sense of uh, of uh, compulsion mm-hmm. that I heard people talk about in meetings. Right. That it, that it never happened that way. It didn't work that way for me mm-hmm. until after being sober for a month. I took my wife out for her birthday, the day before my. Anniversary date, <laughs> and we went to a dinner theater, and I had absolutely no intention of drinking, and found myself with a drink in my hand. Don't even had no sense of deciding to take a drink. It was like uh, it just happened. Yeah. And then had taken. Once I took the first drink, drank a lot more. Yeah. Prior to that. After a really bad experience, really embarrassing holiday experience with my at my parents' house, uh, I called a guy that I had met on the program, and over and over people had told me if you're stuck on that spiritual stuff, second and third step, yeah. why don't you do a fourth step? Why don't you do your inventory, mm-hmm. and at least you'll feel like you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll get you past being stuck. So I had done a fourth step. So this night at my wife's uh, birthday, uh, after an embarrassing evening, sitting alone uh, in the bar with her not talking to me after, mm-hmm. after the leaving the restaurant and the show that we went to. Right. Uh, that's that's just a, doesn't that's just not a good picture. No, no. No. But I'm sitting there, and it's like what had happened that evening was on videotape. And I was able to rewind it and play it back in my mind for the first time. Uh-huh. For the first time, I could see that it was the first drink that got me drunk. Mm-hmm. For the first time, I could see that 
Uh, I that indeed I was powerless that mm-hmm. I had not made this logical yeah, conscious decision to wasn't take, all, yeah. take a drink that I debated and, and then and then arrived at. And uh and the compulsion. And the compulsion. And I'd never had a blackout either in all of mm-hmm. those years of drinking. Mm-hmm. So that was not something else that was mm-hmm. one of my defenses, right? So um the uh the moment of clarity that yeah. we'll talk about there it was right there. Right there. And I could feel it come over me. I could feel like a dam burst. I could feel like I shifted into another gear. Like all of a sudden something came together here. And you understood surrender. And I understood surrender. Yeah. Was that your last drink? It was. Hmm. It was. Right in the middle of that drink. Is that right? Put it down and walked out. And uh, and remember the other thing that, that like almost immediately proved to me that something had happened. Asked my wife to drive home. Hmm. Which I had, you'd never get the steering wheel out of my hands, no matter how much I drank. Pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Well, I think, you know, um, that, that that description of your understanding as the light, you know, the light came out, the, the way the light came on for you, the, those pieces, I think are, will be very helpful to people who have questions about the nature of powerless and surrender and compulsion and making a decision and all the difference in all of that was very well said. And it's all in your head. It's all in your head. It all took place from the neck up. Yeah. And yet everybody focuses on what's in your hand, but that's not, that's not what, what the deal is. So that's, that'll be a great place for us to stop. We're going to play, what are we going to play? Coming at you with a little Michael Bublé. Okay. What's he, what's Michael singing for us tonight? This is, a, this is a tasty track called "It's It's a Beautiful Day." It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful so let's day. let's take a little short break, listen to a little Michael Bublé, and we'll be back with Jim M in about three and a half minutes. I don't know why you think that you could hook me when you couldn't get by by yourself. And I don't know who would ever want to tell the theme of someone's dream. Baby, it's fine. It said that we should just be friends while I came up with that line. And I'm sure that it's for the best. If you ever change your mind, don't hold your breath. Because you may not believe that, baby. Before, but not tonight. 
Welcome back to Recovery Internet Radio. If you're just joining us, we've been chatting with Jim. <laughs> now we're, yeah. Rick's laughing at me because you know he's wondering why I repeated myself. I, I didn't. You got to turn the volume up on the mic before you start talking. Oh, Clutch. There you go. Clutch. You know, very you important go. thing. So I hope you enjoyed the music and uh, welcome back to the show. Part two of our night. I, I kind of wanted to retitle our our show tonight. I thought. I thought what you said, half measures avail, availed us nothing. Was that the line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that that was very poignant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in relation to your story. Um, so that's what I'm calling the show from from this point forward. Half measures availed us nothing. Yes, sir. Great, yes, sir. Big secret. And <laughs> yeah. Re, rebranding us. I thought, yeah, it was, I thought it was good. What you have to ask me what the secret is. Here. What yeah. does it work? <laughs> what well, was the secret? We're getting there. Come on, we're getting there. We're opening the we're opening the present slowly. Yeah. The secret is related to half measures. Yeah. yeah. I think we I think actually we we just did hear the secret. That last little piece that you said when the light came on when when you realized what surrender was. I I think that is the secret. I mean I do. I don't know about you. You know what I mean? That's how do you explain that to? How do you explain that to somebody other than your personal your personal story? I don't think you can. You you can't explain what it feels like to somebody. Everyone has to experience it for themselves. But uh, the secret as I know it, mm-hmm. and what I tell people that are asking me for advice in AA, mm-hmm. is that getting sober and staying sober is dependent on what you do. Mm-hmm. Since the problem was all up in my head, mm-hmm. and that's where all the debating was taking place and all the impediments were, if I had concentrated on doing the things people had told me to do, whether I liked it or not, whether I wanted to do it or not, whether I agreed with it or not, whether I understood it or not, if I had just done it, right, it would have happened for me sooner. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is the secret. That's the secret. The doing it is the yeah. secret. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's two there's two main things that I want to that I want to get to with you. Um, one of them is I know you've been involved with in various ways the the the, the treatment end of things and you know so I kind of want to talk about your your experience with that and what it was what that was like and and what you see now and then I also want to talk about your perspective on AA and what what changes you've seen and I don't know if those two things parallel or mix or if those are two those are two separate topics well uh, I think they are and let's let's take them one at a time okay. um, from the time I first got sober mm-hmm. when when it finally happened after mm-hmm. that year and a half uh, I got involved immediately with a group called the Wanderers Group, mm-hmm. which was kind of a new thing in the uh, in the our northwest suburbs. There were only uh, three of these Wanderers groups at the time, and I, I were those happening in other parts of the country. They were not that I know of. Okay, it was kind of a, a local. Yeah, it's just something that happened, and and over the next twenty years, they really exploded. So mm-hmm. there were only three groups like that when I started, and and there were uh, a couple of people in the group I was in that were split off from the original first group. And the, there, there are over 100 of those groups in the northwest suburbs of Chicago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, these guys were big believers in the do. Uh, they pushed it and emphasized it in the meetings, pushing people to do the steps, and they also were very involved in doing volunteer work. Mm-hmm. So I immediately was swept up in guys not only being at the meeting on Friday night, but Saturday morning going out to Elgin State Hospital mm-hmm. and bringing a meeting to the patients out there. Okay. Or on Sunday morning, picking patients up at Lutheran General Hospital and bringing to them to some restaurant in downtown Des Plaines where there was a breakfast, mm-hmm. open breakfast AA meetings. Mm-hmm. And they got me involved in doing that stuff immediately. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that because it, it like completed the ex, the uh, the experience. I was mm-hmm. immediate. I was immediately feeling, especially after having feeling like I had wasted a year and a half. I really hadn't, but right. I had wa- feeling like I had wasted. Now I, I I needed a sense of belonging and completion. Sure. And that really helped me. And purpose. With that, and purpose. Yeah. That really helped me with that right away. So. Uh, Isn't there something? Even in, in there's there's a a section called the promises and there's something said about yes. how you will feel. Yes, uh, I know, don't have that memorized. I don't either. But yeah. you know something <laughs> about you'll feel a, a new sense of meaning or a new right. You know purpose and yeah. meaning in your life. Right. Right. Uh, so I, I you know over over the years uh, I I did a lot of that kind of volunteer work and then. Uh, after I'd been sober three or four years, I, I moved up to uh, McHenry County, mm-hmm. uh, further north. And in my years living in McHenry County, I got involved in corrections work, in the, do, doing meetings, mm-hmm. starting starting meetings in the county jail, and mm-hmm. then bringing meetings in there. And that was also very satisfying. And very, do things very like if you, and I've heard you call service work, or yes. is, it, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Do, uh, 
do the things that you did, you know, back when you first started doing the things that it, like at Elgin and with Lutheran General, do, do those things continue? Uh, or, like, I suppose things have changed. I don't know that Elgin has a program anymore, and I know Lutheran is, I don't know what the deal is with Lutheran. Well, there, are, there, there are many fewer uh, inpatient treatment programs. There, yeah. there, there yeah. aren't very many of them anymore. Right. Uh, there are still a few. Yeah, uh, there's Hazelden in Minnesota still pumps a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I just started working six months ago with a 70, 72 year old guy mm -hmm. who just came out of Betty Ford. <laughs> who lives up where, near me, and yeah. uh, uh, we got together and uh, I've been uh, hanging out with him for the last six months. So uh, there's still some of that going on, but not as much as there was back in, in, the, uh, in the years. There's a lot of corrections opportunities. Uh, I don't know if there's as many in Illinois. I live in Wisconsin now. There's a lot of them in the state of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, there are meetings in all of the prisons. There are meetings and, and much more of a change in mentality on the part of the, uh, of the uh, administration of those facilities as seeing bringing AA and NA meetings into the facilities as something desirable. They it didn't used to be It didn't so much. used to be. They, 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 it used to be uh, difficult. Yeah. Grudging. Grudging. Yeah. They'd let you in, but they, they, they weren't so sure that what you were doing was really helping. Right. Uh, that you were, you were uh, too easy on, on these guys. I see. It was the kind of way that they viewed it. So yeah, all that's, uh, all that stuff's been, been going on. Uh, there, is a lot of there's still a lot of uh, treatment, but it's different now. Now it's more outpatient, mm -hmm. where there are, where people do go through treatment programs, and I don't think companies are uh, as uh, quick to push people into uh, treatment programs anymore. Also, I what do you think? That's what's the reason for that? Money, hmm. uh, money, and uh, just the way the whole labor market is. It's easier to fire someone than hire somebody else. Right. <laughs> right. And people are probably more, uh, you know, a little, little bit more, since the job market's tight, you know, more likely to either behave themselves or, right. uh, you know, fly under the radar as much as they can. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's, so those are some of the things that, that have changed. What, what do you think, so what do you think, you know, talk about the, 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 like how the AAs changed? Yeah, talk about yeah. Let's talk about how AAs changed and what what you've seen as as a difference over the time that you've been involved. Well, I think probably the two most obvious changes, and these are not like abrupt changes; they're just mm -hmm. trends. Yeah, is there are many uh, more younger people mm -hmm. in AA than there there was in the early years of AA, and there is a much uh, more of a, a even balance between how many men and how many women are. You know, you know, being used to be mostly men. Yeah. And 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 now there are often in meetings as many women as there as there are men. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the same generational differences exist in AA. Uh, with attitudes of older people versus younger people that you'll see anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, 
The other changes that you see in AA is uh, all of the same issues in our society with more openness about someone's sexual orientation and mm -hmm. more openness about other aspects of how they live their lives. But, and more, uh, many more people of color attending mm -hmm. meetings. Mm -hmm. Now, I personally think that AA has done a better job of handling this uh, that is my personal opinion, mm -hmm. of any other institution in this country. Of integrating of, ages, of, uh, sexual orientation, of adjusting, adjusting to, right. uh, I mean, a lot, a lot of adjustment has taken place in this country, but uh, much of it has been hard fought. Right. One of the things I liked about AA from the day I walked in was a recognition of how democratic it was. Hmm and a recognition that there were principles working there that maybe wouldn't work anywhere else in society. Mm -hmm. It's a lifeboat, <laughs> right? Right, so it has right? to work. It has to work. If, right. if you know, the meetings that, that, that follow that open-mindedness and mm -hmm. that democratic sense of we want to help anybody who walks in the door, those meetings grow and stay strong and the people in there continue to uh, stay sober. The meetings that don't work that way you know, they, they dwindle and, and, and they go away. Yeah. You know? yeah. So uh, there, there's a built-in reason to uh, want to honor that. And we also do it in, uh, with traditions, with very strong traditions, not with rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that, that would be uh, the, other, the other thing, which is a little bit more of a divisive issue in AA, is... Uh, over the years, more and more people come in who are uh, have addictive addiction problems with more than just alcohol. Mm -hmm. it, it used to be yeah. you had you know going back 40 years that a lot of people came to meetings who uh, alcohol was their only problem, and especially with younger people, it's very very unusual to hear anyone talking about their their drinking problem or their pro their problem with alcohol. And not also mentioning that two or three other things that they've mm -hmm. that they've misused uh, and that they have problems with as well. Mm -hmm. So th that's put some extra burden on how to deal with that in, in AA. And how how um, would you how in your in your experience how has that been how has that been handled? I think it's still being handled. It's still it, it's still a struggle, mm -hmm. and and it's very individual. Uh, for the most part, the guidelines are that we ask people to come to AA meetings who have a problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Now, they may have problems with other things as well, but they should at least have a problem with alcohol to want to come to an AA meeting. Right. Treatment centers don't always honor that. They push people you know, to go to meetings, and, and they don't care if the only thing that you were using was drugs. Mm -hmm. And these drug courts now that have started up are very much the same way. They mm -hmm. want people to go to go to meetings and report back to the judge that they went to a meeting last sure. year. And I've, heard it, and I've heard it said that, you know, it may just be in this part of the country, yeah. may, but, you know, AA is the strongest program, so go there. Yes, yes. I mean, there are other programs. Yes, There's, yes. You know. CAA but it's it's NAA. been around longer. It's bigger. It has right. it has better track record as far as success. So that is exactly what happens. Yeah. Is, and and uh, much like the way this organization works overall, uh, because it is so democratic and because it's not rule bound but tradition bound, 
you have a great variety of responses to the way individual groups and individual people respond to this. Yeah. Uh, and and as you as you go go around, uh, you know, we were having some conversation about this issue earlier this evening. Uh, some groups are can be really rigid about it and interrupt people and stop them and you know stop talking about drugs. This you know, mm-hmm. and uh, especially meetings that you're in some institution. If you're in a, if you're in someone is gotten out of their cell and come to the room to attend an AA meeting in a, in a jail. And I'm not going to tell them to go back to their cell. You know? <laughs> Seems like they probably they have enough. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. I'm back yeah. Yeah. They've got plenty of rigidity going on already. Yeah. It's a good time to be flexible. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a good choice. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, that's, so that's still something that's a little bit in the mix. Yeah. It's still being, we're still working through it. Yeah. And it's it's recognized across the country as an ongoing issue, and that's mm-hmm. one that's going to have to be uh, have to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. That gives me a, a, reminds me of something that is a great example of um, the, the principles I was describing about things being so democratic in the way AA approaches mm-hmm. those issues. I remember attending some conferences years ago where special interest group after special interest group was standing up at these regional meetings and they were protesting and demanding mm-hmm. that they wanted special literature for gays. They wanted, mm-hmm. uh, but then subsets of, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted special, uh, uh, different literature for lesbians than for gay mm-hmm. men and, you know, all, all AA literature, all mm-hmm. of them wanting right. special AA literature. Right. And I remember that there were multiple special interests that, that were requesting these things. And what happened is after about five years of these kinds of uh, issues being brought to the A membership and the, the way the representation works, is one new piece of literature was issued titled, Do You Think You're Different? <laughs> and had stories in there of every one of these subgroup examples, and you know, a black person, uh, an elderly person, a very young person, a person uh, with a with a different sexual orientation, that that is the answer. Yeah, we're all in this for the same reason. Uh, and those well, that's the way it got solved. And that's the way. Can you say real quickly? Mm-hmm. There is a service structure in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. How does that How does that work? Um, in keeping with this. Uh, strength of the individual groups and the individual members. It's kind of an upside-down organization. Hmm. Uh, each group is autonomous. That's one of the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. That group can like, do like local, small local, group. small group. Can do uh, one, one of the one of the great sayings in AA is that the only thing it st- takes to start a new group is a resentment and a coffee pot. Uh-huh. <laughs> so people attending a meeting don't like something that's going on at that meeting, well then they say, let's start our own. No wonder there's so many that's why there. <laughs> Yeah, we still have a lot of human nature in it, you know. So uh, the, uh, each, each group is autonomous. Each group can, can literally do whatever they want. No one can stop them from it. Just like another one of the, the traditions is that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. You come into a meeting, you say you got a desire to stop drinking, no one can kick you out. They, they can't say that you don't qualify or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So each group has a representative, uh, a, a group service representative. That's an elected kind of thing. And they attend meetings 
usually they're held once a month in what is called a district, which is a geographic designation mm -hmm. of, of so many groups in that in that geographic location. Mm -hmm. And then that district uh, is part of an area. Okay. And then that area is part of a region, I believe. And then that region goes it is uh, under the General Service Office of Alcoholics Anonymous in New York, mm -hmm. which is provides a coordinating function, and which uh, where all the literature and everything is is printed mm -hmm. and and uh, distributed. But it works uh, from the bottom. But up. it works from the bottom up in that all of the major decisions that are made that are then implemented by GSO are as a result of a uh, a big meeting that takes place once every couple of years. And the GSRs, the group service representatives, elect a delegate from the area, and that delegate like goes to Congress, right? <laughs> yeah. And he goes to New York, and he represents the issues of that local area, and 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 votes, and develops a, a new direction for, for the program. It's it's really fascinating. Yep. How that all works. I think a lot of people don't realize that there's this whole like that, that we only see the tip of you see these meetings, yeah. little 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 points of light, but you don't really realize that there's this whole big structure. They also don't realize that that structure is duplicated in many other parts of the world. Hmm. There's a general office, service office in Western Europe. There's a German service office in China. There's a general service office, and and their AA is dramatic growth all over the world hmm. for. Uh, in, in recent years. Hmm. What about the money? What about the money? Um, like where does it go or how does it handle? AA is different in that regard also than any other thing I've, I've, ever, believe, I've ever been exposed to or believe in. Uh, what part of the tradition is that we are self-supporting, that we don't accept any contributions from anyone. Uh, and you're even limited, if I was an AA member all my life, I've been half of my life, mm -hmm. and I decide that I want to die, that I wanted to be, leave a big chunk of money to AA, they won't take it. Mm -hmm. uh, they want the membership to be involved, and they want the membership to, to learn the principle of self-support. Mm -hmm. So that AA meeting that's being held in a church basement, they pay rent to rent that space uh, to the church. So it's their meeting, and that no one is... Is, is has any influence over what's said or done in that meeting because they're paying their own way, and for a lot of a lot of uh, lower bottom uh, AAs, that's probably a good lesson that a lot of people need to learn. So, so that money then get, then gets kind of distributed to help. Uh, first of all, it's how you pay the rent and how and and and, and they pass a basket around the meeting, and people throw a buck or two bucks into the basket, and. Uh, they pay the rent. They buy the coffee uh, that that is usually served in the meeting, and uh, then they contribute a certain amount of the, the money then to various levels uh, of support. They send some of some of it to New York to help support that function. A lot of times there is a, a central office intergroup. Uh, I know there's one in Milwaukee, and I know there's one in Chicago. And uh, they maintain like an AA store mm -hmm. and have staff there where you can buy literature and stuff. So some money goes to help pay for that kind of stuff. But it all comes from the membership. 
Okay. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, it sounds like zero balance budgeting. Like yes, yes. All the money you collect the money, it's all it's all used to support the whole, the process. Yeah, and you don't over. and you don't want to hang on to the money. Yeah. You're looking for trouble hanging looking, on. To the money. Looking for trouble. So what? Let me ask you this: what What are you? Uh, what are you up to now? Are you still? Uh, well, let me do 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 old guys still have to go to meetings? <laughs> <laughs> Remember the secret? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Fortunately, I haven't forgotten that secret. Yeah, that's, that's a good I, I am I am as active as I have ever been. Uh, I retired a year ago, and it's actually given me some time to get involved in some new things that. At the area level, which requires a, a little more commitment that I didn't have time for before, I've always had a minimum number of meetings that I've attended a couple of meetings a week. Mm -hmm. I've always sponsored people uh, and done volunteer work, and uh, I've always had a sponsor. That's another thing too. Mm -hmm. All these years, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, feel like those are uh, important key elements. And to they, having they were then, and they are now. They are now. Yeah, no, that certainly hasn't changed. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I mean, I, I kind, I asked that tongue in cheek, of course, because I, yeah, but I have heard, you know, you know, before, you know, you see, you know, the older, sometimes the older members will drift away, yeah, as if they no longer need, you know, the the support or the they, they no longer need to remember the secret that right. somehow they can. So you don't graduate, you don't, you know, you no. don't get a diploma. Nobody yeah. sends you off. You're you're cured, you're cured now. But uh, but talking about that strong commitment, I I want to kind of balance the impression I may have, might give someone uh, saying it the way I did. Uh, AA is not my whole life. Mm -hmm. I didn't get sober to spend my life sitting in AA meetings, right? Uh, or hanging out at an AA club with other alcoholics. To, certain portion of my life has been doing this. The principles that I've learned here that I bring into my daily life are really part of my core. Mm -hmm. they, they, they really are uh, the foundation on which the rest of my life is built. But I have a lot of other life, mm -hmm. you know, and always have had the time that I've been sober. Uh, I have uh, a wife, the same wife. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I have a couple of grown kids. I have grandkids. I've uh, changed careers a number of times. I've gone back to school a couple of times over those years and have a lot of other interests other than just AA and a lot of friends that are not uh, in AA. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one thing that I do in my life. It doesn't define me. It doesn't define you, but it's a it's a core a core thing. Right. Right. So, okay. So I guess I have really kind of one last question to wrap wrap it up. Uh, and I think you've really, you know, sh you know, nicely shined the light on a lot of things that we wanted to talk about tonight. But if uh, if you were talking to a guy, let's say there's a guy out there, wherever he is in New Zealand or wherever, <laughs> and he's listening. He's listening tonight. Yeah, he might need to hear it. He might need to hear it. <laughs> let's just say out there in New Zealand. Um, that uh, you know he's listening in. He's not calling because he's a little shy and he just wouldn't want to you know anybody to think that he you know. 
What would you say to him? What 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 would what uh, what little piece of uh, what piece of advice would you give him? Well, the uh, the area of my struggle that I described in some detail. Uh, what was missing was willingness, mm. and the book states that in detail. And that if you don't have willingness, that you've got to pray for it. Mm-hmm. Not pray for recovery. Pray for willingness. Pray for willingness. And if you have the willingness, you'll try. You'll stick around. You will open the door a crack yeah. to the spiritual principles instead of having it locked and barred. Yeah. Uh, preventing you from ever looking at that, which is where I started. And um, the willingness is what makes all of the rest of it possible. It, it, it's it's going to come slow, and it's mm-hmm. going to be gradual, mm-hmm. but without the willingness, it'll never get started. And so if somebody is listening and they are looking at themselves and wondering, you know, they have some questions and they're wondering, they, they're maybe flirting with the idea of doing something, Willingness is, and you, and what you said before is the doing it. Yeah. Not the thinking about it. Right. Not the, uh, not the rearranging of it. Mm-hmm. But the doing it. Right. Yeah. And you have to have the willingness to do it. I believe so. I believe you're right. Uh, well, I think that that's probably all we've got time for tonight. I want to thank you for uh, for coming and sharing. Thank you, Rick. Appreciated your inviting me. It was great, and it's good to see you. It's been yeah, good to catch up. It's been many many moons. So uh, we will uh, we will close with that. Um, thank you again. Thanks to our listeners and our studio audience, um, <laughs> who seem to like themselves quite a bit, <laughs> and you out there. And, New Zealander, wherever you are, thank you for listening to us. We will send out our email reminders, as we always do sometime late next week, to give you a heads up on next week's show. Um, And uh, please remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com for all the archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list. Remember, too, we want to hear from you so we know where you are. And as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you at 8 p.m. next Sunday night. Thanks for coming.